The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, and I welcome you to our program on Alzheimer's disease and the dementias. Most of you have learned by now that I like statistics. So I'm going to give you a number, and then we'll come back and discuss that number in a little bit. The number is 107,388,000. Now, like I said, I like statistics, and my daughter has pointed out to me that 73.928% of all statistics are made up on the spur of the moment. I don't know whether that's true, but uh, this one was on the Internet, so it has to be true. 107,388,000 gallons of alcoholic beverages consumed in the United States per year. That's a lot of alcoholic beverage. 13 liters per year per person of pure alcohol diluted in the various drinks that uh, that would be using it. Uh, on the average, Americans drink four beverages per week, with men averaging 6.2 and women averaging 2.2 drinks per week. 51% of adults over 21 years of age are considered to be regular drinkers by the definition of at least 12 drinks in the past year. 88,000 deaths per year due to excessive alcohol use. An interesting statistic I came across, 68% of college graduates report having used alcohol in the previous month, and 37% of persons who have less than a high school education report having had an alcoholic beverage within the past month. Now, I'm not sure what this statistic means. What did you major in? May be a relevant question here. In any event, the elderly do consume less alcoholic uh, beverage than younger adults do. So the question is, is this good or bad for us as far as brain health is concerned? And this is the topic of the discussion today. So grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, let's have a discussion. And I said a cup of coffee now. I want you concentrating here. A study out of Germany um, a couple of years ago, elderly Germans 75 years of age or older who have two to three drinks per day had a 60% decrease in developing any form of dementia and a 42% decrease in the risk of developing Alzheimer's disease over a three-year follow-up period. So we look at a study like this and we say, what does that mean? Should we encourage more drinking? 
Well, as we go into this question, I'd like to begin here. What is a normal cognitive decline with age? We have this conviction that cognitive functioning, and this refers to memory and attention and language and perception and many other processes, we have this this, uh, perception that cognitive abilities decline with age. So what are these cognitive abilities that are said to decline and what is the reason that they decline? After we address that, then we can perhaps take a look at how something like alcohol would impact on that. Most widely stated and most widely believed is that memory abilities get worse with age. Do you believe that or not? What the research has shown specifically is that the ability to put new information into memory is much better in a young adult than it is in an older adult. But consider this. We have a 25-year-old and a 75-year-old and they are both addressing the same problem. The 25-year-old has much better ability to read, review videos, find other sources of information to bring to bear on solving that problem. That 75-year-old has 50 additional years of experience in solving problems and can bring that to bear on the problem-solving situation. So, If we ask the question, does memory get worse with age, I would have to say, no, not necessarily. Memory changes with age where there is a a vast amount of information and experiences in memory to bring to bear on a situation, and the ability to rapidly learn new information does change with age. It does get... uh, uh, lower with age, but memory becomes reorganized gradually over the course of a lifetime. And what about intelligence? Does intelligence get worse with age? You know, intelligence, while we like to think of it as some kind of a property of our person or some um, property that arises from our brain, intelligence really is a statistical concept that has to do with what is normal for an age and what is not normal for an age. For example, if you assess intelligence by the ability of a person to sit down at a laptop and operate a simple program, then you would see that younger people are much more intelligent than normal people as young adults have grown up with computers being simply a part of their lives, whereas adults have had computers intrude into their lives uh, uh, as they had already arrived at adulthood. So, Does intelligence decline with age? It's a statistical concept that is designed to be normal for any specific age and education group, and therefore the question really does not uh, carry any weight. So given that some things change with age, not necessarily decline, but become organized differently, then we address the question, how would alcohol consumption affect the worsening or uh, speeding up of what would be called cognitive decline, but is actually a cognitive reorganization with age. What is the likelihood that 
alcohol consumption would result in worse cognitive functioning in in comparison to someone who had consumed no alcoholic beverages. Very interesting question and not an easy question to answer for a number of reasons. First of all, how would you know how much someone has had to drink? I don't mean on any given day, but I mean over a course of a decade or even over the course of a year. Nearly always, the answer to that is going to be by self-report. And we know that um, self-report of alcohol use is unreliable and often underreported. Another problem with addressing this issue is people that drink a lot and people that drink only moderately may not, for other reasons, have equal risk of developing cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease or some other form of dementia. So not only do we not have a good index of specifically how much someone has had to drink over a given period of time, but we also have no way of assuring that two people going into the study, one drinking heavily, one drinking moderately, that two people going into the study are, other than with respect to alcohol, at the same risk. Obviously, the perfect study to be designed to address this issue would involve a placebo control, some type of drink that has no alcohol but is made to taste and smell as if it had alcohol, and it would involve a double-blind study so that researchers and the persons who are subjects in the study would not know whether they are having an alcoholic beverage or having a placebo beverage. This is simply not feasible. We cannot randomly select a group of people and um, assign them to a placebo group or uh, different dosing levels of um, alcohol groups and then follow them for a period of time to determine the nature of their cognitive decline. It's simply not feasible. So we're left with basically asking people retrospectively and and then on an ongoing basis, how much they have had to drink, following them for a period of time, and three years, as in the German study, is a very, very short period of time for a study like this, and then providing intermittent measurements, perhaps, of some aspect of cognition, memory or executive functions, or perceptual motor skills, or something like that, And then as these people are followed for a long period of time, determining which ones develop Alzheimer's disease, which ones develop some other dementia, which ones may have a mild cognitive impairment, and then relate that back to the information that you have on drinking. So this this whole research question is a very very difficult one to address. Also, uh, taking into consideration the type of alcoholic beverage that someone may drink and having some standardized measure of intake in the statistics that I gave you earlier, 107,388,000 gallons of alcoholic beverages per year. If that were all hard liquor, that would have a lot more alcohol content than if it were beer, for example, which has a lower alcohol content. So even a statistic like that conveys only very limited information. It may reduce, be reduced to how much pure alcohol is being consumed, such as in the statistic 13 liters per year per capita, or uh, it may be uh, based on the weight of the alcohol or something like that. But it's very difficult to standardize that measure. 
Additionally, complicating research in this area has to do with the the type of um, alcohol consumed, such as wine, red wines having characteristics that are not seen in a lot of other alcoholic beverages, for example. The drinking pattern also is very relevant. Um, if two people each drink 10 drinks per week, and one of them does that all on a Saturday night, and the other has it intermittently through the week, one might expect different uh, patterns of effect of that consumption pattern on things like cognitive function. And then finally, we come to this last confounding issue with respect to research in this area, and that is um, alcohol consumption at what point in life? For example, is alcohol consumption in young adulthood or middle adulthood relevant to the development of cognitive impairment? Or is it uh, only alcohol consumption in late life that uh, has a bearing on potential development of cognitive impairment? So we are bringing up a very complicated issue, and it is my hope that I can sort through some of the research in this area and give you some information that will be useful to you. We are going to go to a break, and we will come back to the research in just a few minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters. 
the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to NeuroMatters. We are back, and thank you for being with us. We're talking about the potential effects of alcohol use on cognitive decline in older individuals. And we are talking to you from the Voice America Network, and we are grateful to you for joining us. Let's talk about how alcohol affects the brain, and we would have to talk about two different types of effects, the first being the acute effects and the second being the chronic effects. Uh, Most of you have probably observed the acute effects of alcohol on the brain in that it may induce a state of relaxation, it may lead to uh, emotional changes, emotional instability in some people, it may be depressing for some people, it may cause incoordination uh, seen in, for example, movement patterns and things like that. And these acute effects of alcohol intoxication can actually result in some other things that uh, become longer term in nature, such as neurotrauma, such as falling and striking the head and experiencing a concussion. So some aspects of the acute influence of alcohol on brain function may have longer term implications. But we mostly are talking here about the chronic effects of alcohol use. And these chronic effects are seen in a number of systems. For example, it's been known for some time that alcohol intake can, in certain dosage ranges, improve cardiovascular function, but it can also, in other dosage ranges, result in very significant compromise in cardiovascular systems. Uh, Alcohol used chronically can result in stroke. Alcohol can displace normal uh, nutritional intake and result in nutritional deficiencies that can become very, very hazardous to one's well-being. Specifically with respect to the brain, it has long been known that uh, more intensive alcohol use does result in white matter atrophy. Let me explain this concept. You've heard of gray matter and white matter. The gray matter are nuclear centers or cells on the surfaces of the brain. These are the cell bodies that give rise to long processes called axons. These axons are mostly myelinated. In other words, they're wrapped in kind of a fatty sheath that causes them to conduct the nerve impulse down the axon much more rapidly. So this myelin, this fatty sheath, is white in appearance, and the white matter of the brain is comprised of these long fibers that connect one area of the brain to another. So we have known for some time that intensive alcohol use results in white matter atrophy or loss in the number of these axons connecting the um, different brain regions so that they can communicate efficiently and effectively. Uh, Just as we have been aware that there are cardiovascular 
problems that can arise from alcohol use. Similarly, there are cerebrovascular changes. This simply refers to changes in the circulation of the brain. These changes may involve many different things. They may involve, for example, a problem of, of regulating the amount of flow that go, goes into one brain area or another, depending on task demands, um, may result in buildup of atherosclerotic changes and things like that. More recently, there's been evidence that intensive alcohol use may result in loss of what has traditionally been thought of as supportive tissue. These are glial cells, G-L-I-A-L. In essence, the brain consists of two types of cells, one being the nerve cells or neurons and the other being the glial cells. It has traditionally been thought that the glial cells help to manage the chemical environment of the neurons. It's been thought that the neurons are the really important cells and the glial cells have a lesser role, but research in the last few years has has indicated that these glial cells also have some signaling properties. They also have some um, functional contribution to the actual encoding and distribution of information in the brain. Uh, recent information suggests that heavy alcohol use results in a decrease in the number of cholinergic neurons in the brain. And the interesting factor here is that cholinergic neurons use a neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, and that's the key neurotransmitter involved in memory systems. So we have a neurotransmitter, which is simply a chemical that is secreted by a nerve cell into the open space and then stimulates in some way a receptor on the next nerve cell in the chain. These different neurotransmitters have different functions in the brain and neurons are often defined based on the type of neurotransmitter they secrete. Therefore, a cholinergic neuron would be a neurotransmitter that secretes acetylcholine. It was identified many years ago that if you somehow decrease acetylcholine activity in the brain, you produce a memory impairment in the subject. There are substances that used to be used many years ago, for example, as part of an anesthesia regimen that would actually result in amnesia for that period of time waking up from anesthesia and recovering consciousness. And a person would then report no recall of any pain, and it was felt that then uh, uh, there was no pain when in reality the, the person was simply amnesic for that period of time coming out of anesthesia and experiencing some pain before pain medications were administered. It was identified in the 1970s that if you increase acetylcholine activity, you actually improve memory functioning. And as those of you that have been listening for a while already know, the medications, three of the medications available to treat Alzheimer's disease actually increase this acetylcholine activity. So putting this together then, the chronic effects of intensive alcohol use would include effects on the circulation in the brain, uh, would include increasing the risk of stroke, would include nutritional deficiencies, loss of some uh, glial cells, 
atrophy or loss of the bulk of the white matter that connects different brain areas, reduction in cholinergic neurons, and there are changes in other things as well that are really too numerous for us to mention now. But having said all that, one would think then that chronic and intensive use of alcohol would be something of a great deal of concern. It would be something that would be too, uh, is something to be avoided. A more recent study this more recent study says light to moderate intake of alcohol is associated with a lower prevalence of vascular findings and less atrophy of the hippocampus and amygdala in APOE4 carriers. So let me dissect the, the results from that study for you and, and help you to understand it. We're talking light to moderate intake, and we'll talk in a little bit about how we define light or moderate or heavy intake, but this has been associated with less change seen in, for example, an MRI, less change to the arteries of the brain and to the identifiable smaller uh, uh, vascular structures of the brain and less atrophy or less loss of brain cells from the hippocampus the memory center of the brain, the hippocampus, and the amygdala that has something to some things to do with uh, modulating emotional tone. And these findings were noted with what are called APOE4 carriers. Now let's look at that concept. We know that um, there are some genetic components to Alzheimer's disease, and one of the genes that have been identified is the apolipoprotein E subtype 4 gene. So, uh, a lot of fancy words, but basically we simply refer to the APOE4 gene or APOE4 allele, and someone who is positive for that gene is called an APOE4 carrier. They are at greater risk for the development of Alzheimer's disease. Well, in the long run, it is likely that Alzheimer's disease will consist of many subtypes of Alzheimer's disease, one of which will be the APOE4 carriers. And in this group that is at higher risk for development of Alzheimer's disease, light to moderate intake was associated with imaging evidence, MRI evidence of less change in certain brain structures than would be associated with the uh, normal aging process, keeping in mind that the brain of a 25-year-old and the brain of a 65-year-old are very significantly different with the 65-year-old having uh, probably 30% or more decrease in brain bulk due to atrophy. So that's an interesting study as well that light to moderate intake may help to protect against atrophy, certainly in the hippocampus, the memory center, uh, and in uh, the amygdala, which modulates some aspects of mood. As I mentioned before, the perfect study has not been done, and the perfect study cannot be done in this area to clearly uh, answer the question, does alcohol intake at any dosage range mitigate against or protect against cognitive decline and the eventual development of dementia? The... Um, 
a perfect study cannot be done. And so we are left to uh, rely on studies that have studied individuals for shorter periods of time and have um, uh, relied on self-report of alcohol intake and have relied on um, various ongoing measures that would give some idea as to the degree of cognitive decline. Because there are a number of studies there in this area, but they're not all done the same way, we come to the concept of a meta-analysis. This is basically a review of lots of different studies that are done addressing the same topic different ways for the purpose of seeing what information can be pulled from all of these various studies. And so I am going to discuss what I believe is an excellent meta-analysis that was published in a journal called Age and Aging in 2008. And it consisted of a review of 23 different studies. So when we come back, we will get into that meta-analysis. We are going to break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us. I'm Dr. Sam Brinkman, your host this evening, and we are discussing the role that alcohol consumption may play in 
cognitive decline in older individuals. And I mentioned a study by Peters and colleagues published in Age and Aging in 2008. They began with a review of a large, large number of studies and found in these studies 23 of them to be adequately rigorous to be included in their assessment. All of these studies, uh, of these 23 studies, had subjects that were 65 years of age and older. So they were focusing specifically on that age group. Um, it, the studies were longitudinal studies. In other words, they were not studies in which someone was seen just one time and their current functioning was correlated with the alcohol consumption pattern that had been reported, but they actually followed these patients or these uh, research subjects for a variable period of time. It varied from one study to another to see whether cognitive problems would emerge and to see where the dementia would emerge. Another characteristic of these studies was that the primary purpose of the study was to measure the incidence of dementia. In other words, to determine how frequently dementia occurred in the various groups and also to measure cognitive decline directly. And basically their study said this, that there is a J-shaped curve that describes the relationship between alcohol consumption and dementia. So that J shape, if you simply um, uh, mark a letter J on a paper in front of you and put that into a graphic format, what that says is this, with no alcohol intake or very, very low intake, there was an increase in risk of developing dementia and specifically Alzheimer's disease with mild to moderate alcohol intake, there was a decline in the risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And with higher levels of, of intake, there was a negative influence. In other words, there was a marked increase in the risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's disease. And this, this graphic relationship uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, we have been aware of certain protective mechanisms afforded by alcohol to the brain, and we also understand that that is a dose-specific relationship. In other words, the um, old axiom, if a little bit is good for you, a lot is really good for you, simply does not hold in this situation, and there is a point at which the amount of alcohol intake becomes destructive to brain tissue and brain function rather than protective. One of the difficulties in looking over all of these studies is that if a person is a moderate drinker and is being compared to a heavy drinker, it's likely that that moderate drinker is also moderate in other aspects of life and the heavier drinker is less moderate in other aspects of life. You heard two weeks ago, for example, the very excellent discussion with Dr. Nancy Emerson Lombardo from Boston University Department of Neurology, who talked about many different nutritional influences, positive or negative, on brain function, brain health, and cognitive functioning. And the the uh, possibility is that moderate drinkers are also more balanced in their nutritional intake and, um, and therefore 
uh, it's not just the alcohol, but it's more the concept of moderation in multiple areas of life that's a key. So this group of studies, this meta-analysis of 23 studies is um, a good starting point uh, for follow-up analysis and an article that was published online in the journal called Neurology in January of this year, January 2014, um, is a good follow-up on that in that this study involved 7,153 subjects, 7,153 uh, 7, persons who were followed for a number of years and who were evaluated for the potential development of either cognitive decline or Alzheimer's disease. And they used a cutoff of 36 grams of alcohol. So middle-aged men, and so the subjects here are began at middle age, uh, middle-aged men who drank 36 grams or more of alcohol per day were more likely to experience faster decline in all cognitive areas and especially memory over the 10-year period that they were followed. People who drank less than 36 grams of alcohol per day actually had decreased risk of developing cognitive changes and uh, Alzheimer's disease. So you see very quickly that excessive alcohol intake has a detrimental short-term and long-term effect on the brain, but uh, moderate intake does not have that detrimental effect. And in fact, in this study, there was evidence that a small or moderate amount of intake actually did have some protective action in comparison to, to no intake at all. So let's talk about what is 36 grams of alcohol. Um, and the, the cutoff suggested um, uh, for men was 36 grams, for women was 19 grams. Uh, women do metabolize alcohol differently. Well, First of all, a standard drink is considered to have 0.6 fluid ounces of alcohol or 14 grams. So 36 grams of alcohol would be about two and a half standard drinks, uh, two and a half standard mixed drinks. And the study then said that at two and a half standard drinks or less for men and um, less than that, about one and a half standard drinks for women, you do have some protective effect of alcohol intake on the development of cognitive changes, but greater than that, you lose that uh, beneficial effect of the alcohol. And this is the, the largest study and the best study that I have seen with the longest period of follow-up as well. So um, what can we conclude from this thus far? Obviously, always with scientific research, a, a particular finding has to be replicated by other researchers in another setting. And, and so I do not feel and others agree that we are, uh, are not in a position at this point to say one should drink this amount observationally, it would appear that drinking a small amount of alcohol per day uh, may be beneficial, but the exact causality has really not been established. It seems very clear, however, that drinking more than that amount of alcohol, that for men two and a half standard drinks, or for women about one and a half standard drinks, 
clearly uh, that degree of alcohol consumption will hasten cognitive decline in many individuals. And um, there are multiple pathways through the through which that could happen, including the direct effects of the alcohol on brain tissue and brain function, as well as the cerebrovascular and cardiovascular effects over time. So I think that that's the best conclusion that we can reach right now, and uh, we are not, not at a point of recommending. However, um, red wine has been recommended for a number of years for people in terms of maintaining cardiovascular health. And um, there are a number of reasons for that. For example, flavonoids that are um, contained in red wine have antioxidant properties thereby reducing the oxidative damage that we discussed a couple of weeks ago with Dr. Emerson Lombardo. But given what we understand right now, it would seem that some alcohol intake would be acceptable, potentially beneficial, but a lot of alcohol intake can be very damaging. Interestingly, there are several disorders that are associated with intensive and prolonged alcohol intake. One of these is actually a, a, a rather fascinating condition from a scientific standpoint, but it's a heartbreak for the person that's afflicted and for the family, and that is something called Korsakoff syndrome. In this disorder, a person continues to have pretty much normal intellectual functioning, normal communication skills. Uh, pretty much all aspects of cognition tend to be very normal, except for memory. And the individual with Korsakoff syndrome has very severe memory disturbance together with confabulation. Confabulation meaning that when the person um, states something whether it's accurate or, or not accurate, whether it's remembered correctly or incorrectly, that person is absolutely certain that he or she is remembering correctly. So um, that represents very, very significant challenges. Another condition has traditionally been called alcoholic dementia or uh, sometimes called alcohol-related dementia. And in this case, there is more generalized atrophy in the pattern that we had discussed earlier. There's a generalized loss of brain balk. There's loss of interconnectivity among neurons. And what distinguishes this condition from Korsakoff syndrome is that the uh, alcohol-related dementia is associated with changes in language systems, changes in... Uh, visual spatial abilities, changes in performing complex activity, and things like that, in addition to the problems of memory functioning. So Korsakoff syndrome and then alcohol-related dementia. The third condition that we see in this area is actually called Wernicke-Korsakoff, or if I didn't speak it with the European accident, Wernicke-Korsakoff. Uh, disorder. And this is associated with the generalized dementia together with a lot of psychotic features. There may be hallucinations. There will often be delusional thinking and um, needless to say, management of this type of condition is, is very, very difficult. Um, we will be going to break in uh, about 45 seconds or so. And um, what I want to do in this last segment is talk with you about the benefits of cessation of drinking if these cognitive problems have 
developed and also discuss a couple of the specific neurobiological mechanisms through which alcohol can potentially protect against the development of Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. Incidentally, in the earlier study, there was not evidence that um, uh, moderate alcohol was protective against the development of vascular dementia. So we are going to go to a break and we will return for our final segment shortly. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I put my keys. What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. Thank you for staying with us. I am Dr. Sam Brinkman coming at you from Voice America, and we have been talking about alcohol consumption and cognitive decline in older individuals. I failed to mention, by the way, in the study that was published in Neurology in January of this year, that the data analysis indicated that there was no association between what type of drink someone was consuming and whether um, that type would have a greater effect on cognitive functioning. So there was no specific association there, and presumably then the beneficial effects as well as the detrimental effects are specifically due to the alcohol. Well, how can alcohol be protective? You know, um, how can the consumption of alcohol actually result in certain protective states with respect to brain functioning and seen with respect to cognitive abilities when that alcohol consumption pattern is considered moderate or less. We have 
a few guesses, but not a lot. One of them is, of course, it's known that alcohol does enhance insulin sensitivity. Insulin is an absolutely essential uh, substance in the body to introduce glucose into the cell so that the glucose can become a useful source of energy for the cell to complete its functions. Therefore, enhancement of insulin sensitivity could potentially result in much greater overall metabolic efficiency. We talked about oxidative stress a couple of weeks ago and the inflammatory processes that may arise from oxidative stress. There is considerable evidence that one component of the Alzheimer's disease process has to do with inflammation, and this has led to various approaches of medication development that would address inflammation. Um, thus far, none of these has panned out to be a satisfactory treatment, but there is ongoing work in this area. It's thought that the alcohol can reduce the inflammatory processes that arise from the oxidative stress, and that would especially be seen, for example, in uh, red wines, which have a more powerful effect than other forms of alcohol with respect to antioxidation. There's also evidence that alcohol may result in an increase in HDL, the good, uh, uh, the good cholesterol levels, and um, may result in decreased platelet aggregation, uh, thus resulting in uh, improvement in circulation, decreased tendency toward um, a stroke or uh, something along those lines. So th there are mechanisms that are hypothesized, and as these mechanisms are better understood, potentially it would be possible to develop mechanisms that would specifically provide that therapeutic action or that protective action without having some of the other uh, negative side effects of uh, alcohol consumption. So uh, it is a jumping off point for research. Certainly that appears to be the case. Now, what if someone you know has had a history of heavy drinking and is demonstrating progressively increasing cognitive change, is there any benefit to be derived from no longer drinking at this point? If the person is 70 years old, 75 years old, and um, has a history of heavy drinking, well, in general, there are reasonable expectations that if someone stops drinking, and it may be necessary to go through detox to accomplish this safely, but that if someone does stop drinking alcoholic beverages after a long history, there will be some improvement in brain function. And this improvement can be supplemented by the use of nutritional uh, substances that have probably uh, become um, lower than they should be in that person's body. And so they're stopping drinking after cognitive problems develop is still therapeutically effective. Is it going to be 100% improvement? Potentially that's possible, although depending on the intensity of the drinking and the number of years of drinking and nutritional status during those years of drinking, um, you know, uh, it is likely that there will be some persisting deficits. Interestingly as well, um, there's recent research to suggest that physical exercise 
after cessation of drinking additionally improves brain health and brain function and thereby improves cognitive functioning. And of course, as we talked a couple of weeks ago about omega-3 fatty acids, there's evidence that uh, this ingredient often um, extracted from fish oil has a therapeutic benefit for someone who has uh, alcohol-related cognitive decline. So as you can see, this is a complicated task, and I've given you our current understanding of the issue of whether alcohol consumption is helpful or detrimental uh, or um, has no effect with respect to the development of cognitive decline and the um, potential development of Alzheimer's disease as well. This is mu as much as we know right now, and we simply are not in a position to say um, that if you don't drink, you should start drinking a small amount, but we are in a position to say if you or your loved one is drinking a lot, it can be very beneficial to reduce the amount of uh, alcohol intake if that person can manage drinking at lower levels of intake or if not then uh, total cessation of drinking so interesting topic and I will look forward to hearing your thoughts on this I uh, was gone last week in uh, Washington DC for the Alzheimer Association Advocacy Forum this is an event that takes place uh, once a year, and the intent of it is to present some specific issues to members of Congress to address so that there will be a more organized and more sustainable approach to managing the tremendous, um, tremendous societal uh, burden that Alzheimer's disease is becoming. At this forum last week were over 900 people. I believe that's the best turnout that they've had. I have been there a number of times in the past and I was very impressed with the number of people that were there, the number of people that went to the Hill and talked with their senators and representatives about two key things. And one key thing is the Alzheimer's disease research budget. You know, this money comes through the National Institutes of Health and um, it may be uh, distributed through the National Institutes of Aging. But in any event, when we look at the amount of money spent for Alzheimer's disease care, estimated to be $214 billion this year, and the amount that has been ex uh, expended or allocated for Alzheimer's disease research, which is more in the neighborhood of uh, five or $600 million, there is a tremendous discrepancy there. And we have recognized that when NIH targets difficult conditions such as stroke, such as heart disease, such as HIV, and the resources are poured into it, uh, the track record has been very excellent for making those conditions more manageable. For example, HIV was 15 years ago essentially the kiss of death, and it is now a condition that can be controlled and does not um, uh, present a very, very short life expectancy as it used to. The symptoms of it can be controlled so much more effectively. Well, again, going to statistics, the projection at the current increased rate of development of Alzheimer's disease as baby boomers age, the projection for the year 2050 is approximately $1.3 trillion dollars 
in expenditures for the care of people with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. And the overwhelming majority of that will be from Medicare and Medicaid monies. And so, uh, as a friend of mine in Washington stated it, we can either pay for the research now or pay dearly through Medicare and Medicaid later. So I would ask you to encourage your representatives and senators to increase this NIH budget for Alzheimer's disease research. And in addition to that, the Alzheimer Accountability Act is being proposed. This has essentially no price tag with it, but simply will enable the um, uh, distribution of a budget developed by NIH researchers specifically regarding Alzheimer's to be sent directly to Congress and the President so that the results of the National Alzheimer Project Act can be monitored more carefully. Thank you for being with us tonight. Be active in your communities and in and with your representatives and senators on these issues as they come up for vote. And I will look forward to talking with you next week. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.